plan. Well, you look at this. Rick Martell is throwing Steve Kern right out of the ring. Oh, my. And the Hawk has Stan Lee all tied up. And he's mad. The Battle Royale playset comes complete with six figures, referee, and official wrestling ring from Remco. For those who do not know, the biggest wrestling spectacular names from all over the country former champions I've never seen anything like it Eddie Graham Florida promotion Vern Gagne superstar Billy Graham Road Warriors Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis Tennessee Bill Watts Jerry Jarrett Dory Funk Harley Race uh, Nick Bockwinkle this is Cigars in Conversation with Derek St. Holmes, Esquire. Hello and welcome to Cigars in Conversations, brought to you exclusively at OneGimmickWorld.com. I'm your co-host, Jay Gilke, and I'm sitting here with a true raconteur in the world of professional wrestling. This man has shared the ring with a who's who of talent that ranges from C.J. Parker to William Regal. A wrestler, manager, commentator, and a trainer who's contributed essays to wrestling publications, as well as an avid reader and researcher of old-time carny cons and carnival life in the early 20th century. With 20 years of experience, he is a true Renaissance man with unlimited knowledge. Ladies and gentlemen, I am speaking of, of course, the incomparable Derek St. Holmes Esquire. Derek, how are you doing? Ixnay on the keys, Arnie. What are you talking about? Ah, very good. I love it. Yes. Uh, always an exciting time for me to try to come up with fun and thrilling facts about you to put into the intro of our show. Yes. I, uh, I'm i always amazed at what you can discover. Well, I think uh, you should be more amazed Again, at how many great things you've done. Had I known they would be great, I would have taken better notes. That's true. That's uh, It does sometimes, uh, you know, pulling back the curtain a little bit, it does sometimes get a little bit difficult trying to think of some stuff uh, that I can reference with you. And uh, and again, the card thing, it just came to me. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. We were in that parking lot, and he showed me the card trick, which I don't know anybody else that can do that. So that's amazing. Thanks. You're welcome. Horseshoes. Now, now just get the yeah, – horseshoes. Now get the uh, – Get the pan thing down. Scrolling the pan up. Yeah, scroll that the pan. That is uh, inspiration from my uh, Roughneck Jay Ryan, a friend of mine who used to wrestle as, I think he was zero. I'm not sure. Uh, they were the Alpha Effect, I believe. Do you remember that at all? I do not remember okay, that. Okay, it was uh, Jay and Adam. But. Was he able to do it? Uh, yes, yeah. He actually, um, he's a good friend of mine that wrestled in the Chicago area, moved out to Colorado with his lovely bride, Amanda, who I always called Amanda Hug and Kiss. Um, went into the personal training world, has done a number of uh, what are called century runs, which are 100-mile runs, which uh, blows my mind, but posted recently how he was scrolling up. Uh, scrolling up uh, frying pans. Yeah, scrolling up frying pans. Wow. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's... It's something, something to do. I, I Obviously, there's training, but I think the gimmick is that you have to buy them at like the... Like what's what's lower than the dollar general right. around here? You know, you can get a bunch of them for five bucks and practice on them. Right, the absolute cheapest. Yeah. That always. I mean, obviously, you start with those and you can work up to legit. But you know. well, I think the ones you would go for they would uh, be like the ones that you would give to Sandman. And I was just going to say that anywhere. the ones that yeah. you would see in the ECW because um, I believe there was VHS. a flea market right next to the uh, 
Yep. ECW Arena or Viking Hall or whatever it was. I and, think it's the Asylum Arena now. Right. And that uh, that's exactly what I was going to say to you was, yeah, that's you'd got to get the cheap generic ones that they'd hit him at the head uh, in the head. Yeah, I mean it's still shows. it's still a it's still a task. You have to, you know, figure out where to put your leverage and everything like that. Actually, I just got a book on a guy that uh, became a modern time traveling strong man i'm interested to read that but he does time it for traveling the, no not time traveling but that's what you just said oh i'm, I'm sorry can we get an interpretation here no no there's no time travel um a modern time traveling strong man okay but he does it in like uh self-help seminars here you can work beyond any limits that you think you have and everything like that which is good i mean if you want to focus it and use the gimmick for that i'm all about self-improvement and all about uh granted i have a personal bias against the hashtag pma because 90 percent of the time it's like diet soda 90 percent of the time you see people drinking diet soda they're not thin right and if you see somebody touting that hashtag pma they're usually pretty nuts what does PMA mean? I don't Positive even know. Positive mental attitude. Oh. I don't I mean, hashtag that much. Oh, fair enough. I don't I don't really understand what it is either, other than the hashtag bitter, which I guess is my brand or whatever. <laughs> what was the name we came up with? Oh, the cunning curmudgeon. I might start I was paying gonna, off uh, commentators to start calling me that. Like the you know, Batman has a million nicknames. I was going to uh at some point into the intro before we started doing the show, I was gonna work in the phrase wrestling's own grumpy cat. Yeah, fair enough. I'll I thought take that, that would have worked out I'll as well that. too. But uh, enough yeah. about those gimmicks. Uh, let's talk about back in my day. Back, yes, back in your day. Let's talk about. Uh, let's go. Oh, way, this is way actually back. back in my day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this one really is. Um, nowadays, you can go to any wrestling show, and you can pretty much get everything from uh, foam fingers and t-shirts and uh, masks to coloring books. And um, all kinds of other uh, fun, exciting things when it comes to gimmicks. Now, let's gimmicks, take merchandise. Merchandise, what, what yes. What Sputman and Roll call it? Your, your pins, your pins, rags, and papers. Yes, that's what you had to sell. Yes, and so um, we're going to be talking about some of our favorite, unique, kind of weird, strange, off the beaten path type things that we uh, maybe have acquired or seen or had at one point in our lives. Uh, in the past, uh, involving professional wrestling, but not not like replica belts, right? Like yeah, pre like replica right. pre replica belts, right? Absolutely. And I'm not talking about. Let's, let's set the stage here for the well, for the young and and, and the again audience. too, like I'm not talking about yeah. my a Jack specific um, Owen Hart blue blazer figure. Oh no, you know, even like pre LJN. Yes, right. The exactly. LJN like plastic blobs that like they came out. Okay, here's the deal. Now now you got me started. Yes. Um. Imagine a time, lady. You know, imagine a time, kids. Gather up for Grandpa's story time. But you, there were, there wasn't wrestling stuff available. Like, if you wanted wrestling souvenirs, you got magazines from the stand, or you got pictures from the arena, right. pictures and programs. Like, that's all there was. You know, incidentally, before we get started on this, I just want to go off on comic book stuff. Okay. Like the even the, the hoods that are available today, like the hoodies that come up and they're the cowl for the Batman or the Flash or anything like yes. that. Yes, I would have killed for anything like that when I was a kid. My my sons for Christmas, one got a Daredevil and one got a Nightwing. It, okay, the fact that Nightwing even has licensed know, that's stuff right now, it's right. just like what the hell happened here? Right. Ugh. So yeah, toys and and memorabilia now so much better. It's like now I have the money to buy it, but I don't really want to be you know. You don't want to be that guy. Uh, there's a great uh, SNL Star Wars commercial. 
Mm-hmm. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yep. Very Does familiar. your wife play with action figures too? Right, single tier. Yes, yeah. No, absolutely. I agree. Okay, I but agree. yeah, wrestling memorabilia. There was there was nothing to like represent, you know. And then, okay, so I grew up in the AWA, as we've always said. AWA had a handful of T-shirts. Yes, you know, for the different wrestling personalities, uh, long sleeve T-shirts for the Battle Royals. Yep, which I've always wanted to get. Yes, and there is a guy in the Milwaukee area that owns one because we see him at Hog Alley. You know, he's he's oh, worn really? it a couple times. It was on. There was one on eBay about yes. a year and a half ago, and I was, I think it was a small though. Well, who was it? Uh, Ken Resnick, the old announcer, yes. was selling a lot of his gear. Oh, really? So I was like up to uh, like $85 for a Crusher t-shirt. Oh, wow. Because I want to get it because a friend of mine wants to get it so he can lift the pattern and start printing them off again. But, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, if if I knew anybody that was... Able to do that. Yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, they probably use computers or something. But there was... So they had that. Uh, Vern Gagne tried to come out with this, like, printed on newspaper called the Pro Wrestling Report, which was like his attempt at a wrestling magazine quote unquote but i don't know just reading it you could just tell it wasn't you know is written by people in the office and stuff like that and they did have one page of different fans around the arena where you got to see how ugly wrestling fans are so it's pretty funny (laughs) well and before we no pen pals though pen that's where it was at before before we move on um from vergania though the gania metrics thing Oh, was that's that on the network? Yeah. Was that something that you bought? Where where would you acquire Ganya metrics back in the uh, day? I have a... And can you give, first off, for the listeners at home, if the people that might not know, could you give just a little example of what Ganya metrics is? Oh, Ganya metrics was simply, uh, it's on the network right now. It was him demonstrating isometric exercises. Uh, isometric exercise was a fab that came through the fitness world, uh, late 50s, early 60s. Uh, the sense of instead of moving a weight through space a la a bicep curl, you would grab something and concentrate like you were doing a bicep curl. So you did, you weren't really moving weight. You were just essentially working muscles against immovable surfaces. You know, okay. For example, uh, standing in a doorway, reaching up and pushing against the top of the doorway instead of a military-type press. Oh, okay. There's some... I don't want to get into it. There's some schools of thought that say it works. Some people that don't say it works, but you do notice that most of the people that say it works have something to sell you. Right. Right. And was that a a television show or no, no, I think that was just a promotional clip because don't Vern Gagne had several business ventures in the twin cities areas. There was Gagne metrics. And then there was, he had a nutritional supplement, which I'm not sure if it was called Jerilac or Jerispeed or Ziggity Hoo or something like that, but that was a you know a supplement like Ovaltine that you mixed up in milk and you, okay. you know, and that would make you all healthy and everything like that. Yeah, you know, like early health food. Wow, that's so that I guess is a yeah. I mean, to an so extent. but Ganya was also again he was in the upper crust of society in the twin cities so he would you know try these different marketing things to make a lot of money a lot of wrestlers like uh larry the axe henning uh were in real estate as far as i know he's still a licensed real estate person in you know the state of minnesota so that was his day job quote unquote while he wrestled wow so awa a handful of shirts did you get the remco guys the remco action figures uh yes i still have a rick flair that i kept always a weird group of guys that they made would you agree yes weird abdul group the of guys. butcher uh, it was just uh, yeah 
I mean, again, who knows how these deals get put together, but I believe they used like a knockoff mold of uh, the He-Man figures. Yeah. So like that's everybody had the same. You know, it was just frustrating. You know, early on how wrestling would always break my heart. It's like, well, okay, the WWF has dolls out or, or action figures out. It's like, okay, they don't move. Well, the AWA yeah. has these out. Well, God, they don't look like anything like it. Right. I did have... Um, I did like with the AWA Remco figures, they sold a belt, like an AWA replica belt. Yes. That I did buy because I wanted to have, you know, I, I wanted to have a belt. You And you were able to find that at a store? Oh, yeah. See, because I don't remember, I hardly remember being able to find the AWA figures, let alone find the belt. Well, this is where Ganya suffered in that he, you know, signed a toy contract but didn't really understand... You know, they didn't understand distribution and stuff like that. So they were out and they were available, but you couldn't get them anywhere because they didn't have the distribution network, whereas Vince was able to right. tap into LJN and get all I that just stuff. imagine a Woolworth in somewhere, yes. Iowa, stocked to the ceiling with AWA belts. Okay, Woolworth wrestling story. When I was going to school in lacrosse in the early 90s, the Woolworth there was closing. And I walked through there, and the two things that I wished I had bought when they when they uh, finally went out of business was a uh, Luke Perry nine hundred two one zero figure. Yeah, nice. That's a guilty pleasure of mine. Nine hundred two one zero. Sorry, just is. And the Hulk Hogan, like the AWA release of the Hulk Hogan highlights or whatever that had his match with uh, Hulk Hogan on. You know, when the AWA came out with that series of yes. half hour tapes. Yes. They had one of Hulk Hogan, which was his match with Bachwinkle and stuff setting up to that. Okay. And that was like, I wasn't in the, I was still trying to find, again, I knew something was going on with wrestling, but didn't yeah. know because you didn't have the stuff. So I got that and somehow that tape, just seeing it cracked my mind of, Oh, Hogan was a guy that drove the territories as well. And trying to figure out what you know what that must have been like for a wrestler to drive the territory right. and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. Now yeah. again, nothing available. You had Roberta Morgan's main event book that yep. was available, and then I had that copy of Whatever Happened to Gorgeous George, which is one of the very first uh, semi non kayfabe books written about wrestling in the early seventies about a guy uh, Joe Jairs Jr who took a summer, went on a, went on the road with his father, who worked the southern, the Memphis Territory. Yeah. Or the Arkansas, somewhere around there. Do you know a lot about that book besides reading oh, it? Oh, I own or? it, yeah. Well, so, I mean... I own, you... the, I own it, and I have the um, uh, Crowbar Press reprint. Okay. They did another chapter. Had you ever heard that. any anything about that? Uh, what kind of ramifications, repercussions there were for that book coming out? Or was it... Or I'm assuming the business wasn't too happy about it if it was... Uh, I wasn't necessarily happy about it, but I never heard any sort of organized, we're going to kill this guy or, right, anything. or anything. Right, Because the story, like the, the the book, the first two chapters had been stories in, I believe, Sports Illustrated. Oh, something okay. Something like that. There was a chapter yeah. of him going on the road with his dad. And then there was a chapter about, Gord, you know, the phenomenon of Gorgeous George. And then when the book came out, there were other chapters that he had put together, including the list of real names and stuff like that. Sure. That was the first place I had seen that Abdullah the Butcher was Larry Shreve. Oh, okay. Yeah, like, yeah. What? Oh, mm -hmm. wait a minute. These these are guys. You yeah. Know? That was a real, um, I will say, like, that was a kind of a, re a real moment when, because we were raised on Abdullah the Butcher, and then, like you said, you find out it's a real guy, and you kind of go, oh, my gosh, it's. 
just the dude. Yeah, I remember the real one of the real big, you know, behind the curtain moments for me were when I ordered the first couple issues of whatever happened to from Scott Teal. Yep. And had the bit with Ivan Koloff, and mm-hmm. I found out, oh, he's a Canadian. Yeah. It's just like, I kind of just wanted that to be real. Right. You know, but. Because, I mean, they did such a convincing job. Yeah. Well, that's, it was all you knew. And as far right. as. Or even, uh, you know, and if you watch old NWA now and you see Nikita Koloff and you laugh because it's like, it's not really a rush. I mean, it's not like a real Russian. It's kind of a Russian accent, but more of him just like growling and. Yeah, well, and just, uh, Nikita. Yeah, well, yeah, Nikita. He was one of the last to do the real old school, like legally changed his name from Scott right. Simpson to Nikita Koloff, and like would not break kayfabe in public. So it was all right. uh, you know, learned a few a smattering of Russian and everything like that. It Always was rumored. People... It was rumored Ivan Koloff only knew da and yet, and would like have whole conversations with people speaking Russian to him. Like, oh da da yet 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 da. <laughs> you know. That's great. Yeah. Um, so you had mentioned the AWA videotapes, uh, VHS tapes. How many were there in the oh, set? Do you remember? Boy, I wish I would have done research. I, there was either four or six. But it wasn't like an ex- exorbitant amount. No, it, no, it was very, and they were all like half hour half hour releases right which which was very frustrating because it's like no i want to see you know where's all the stuff like you know he didn't know how it worked so there was a there was a tag team tag team one featuring the road warriors hulk hogan's uh one was sergeant slaughter you know and maybe one or two more but again just these weird half hour tapes that had like two to three matches on them and that was it. Right. And it was just like, oh, okay, well, it's here. Right. And yeah, and there wasn't, and that, I just, when you look at those as well and you say a half hour, it's almost like the, was it Good Times, I think was one of the companies. Yes. That yeah. Put, yeah. Uh, and you just, the, the quality was just so piss right. poor on that stuff. It was terrible. Well, not to be confused with that, which a lot of people, anybody that's listening to this in the know is making this association. The AWA tapes were different from the, like Hulk Hogan, the missing matches, or Randy right. Savage, the missing matches, which were actually out of the what PM Pedro Martinez yep. film and whatever corporation out of California. Right. But a lot of the Memphis footage on that, which which I love, and I think I've told you this story before. When after the ICW, the PAFO organization went down, mm-hmm. and but they still had their TV stations, they became part of the Memphis territory. Jarrett was sending videotapes to PAFO to send to his uh, TV stations. Yes, PAFO was making dupes of all that footage and later sold all of that to the PM Film Company, and that's where the missing matches stuff came out of. Oh, gotcha, is that that pirated footage? Well. You think about AWA, and like you said, even if you even if you were to give them the benefit of the doubt and say they released, and they probably, most likely didn't, ten VHS tapes. No, no, they never ten. Take this into consideration: Coliseum Home Video released one hundred and seventy-six. Yeah, well, that's because Vince had the company behind it. Uh, right. One thing, Vince. Well, this is the difference. Like Vern went to a company and said, "I want to sell wrestling videotapes." And that's where they came up with this easy format. Oh, we can just knock these out, cut the slates off, and send them out. Yeah. Vince would either go out and buy a company or establish his own company to do all of that. Right. Like, and that's 
you know, a very revolutionary for wrestling at that time. Because remember, a lot of these guys are coming. Your business model was you made money from your ticket sales at the arena. Right. End of story. But Vince was the first to come in and say, oh, we can really license this out and get all of this done for the next step. So that's where he did um, Coliseum Video, which I believe was a company that he bought. Yes. Uh, He did go with LJN to license the wrestling characters and do everything like that. But like his movie making business for uh, what's the Zeus movie? Not beyond no holds barred. No holds barred. Like that was made by the like Shane and Stephanie movie company. Like it was named after his children. Right. You know, he established a part of his company to do these things as opposed to contracting everything out. So um, I don't know how much you know about the Coliseum stuff. Uh, a handful a because handful. I used to wait with bated breath right. every month for the new three videotapes to come to Woodman so I could go and rent them. What if you had a guess and you might know this, what do you think was the very first one? Like the one that they used to, to saturate the video store markets that they thought would just really put them over. But I thought they came out in sets of three. So I'm going to say greatest hits volume one, WrestleMania one and something else I can't think of. Okay. I'll give it to you. Okay. We're going to, and we're going to count. We'll, I'll give you the first three yes. under your premise that they released them three at a time. And they're all numbered WF. And wait, then, wait, wait, wait. Was it biggest, tallest, strangest, smallest? Close. Okay. Number one was bloopers, bleeps, and body slams. Okay. Yeah. As the first release, okay. which I guess, and it maybe, well, I was going to say maybe it's because it's alphabetical order, but not, um, cause it started with the B, but, uh, that would lead me to think that that was the one that they thought would be the first video to come out on I, the line. I still think there were they came out in sets of three. Well, they did come out in sets of three. We'll we'll assume that, and we'll say it was the uh, bloopers, bleeps, and body slams, Hulkamania, mm-hmm. yeah, the very first Hulkamania, and then the best of WWF volume, volume one. one. Yes, okay. those are the first three that that did come out. Okay, the Hulk Hogan one. The last match on that was the WrestleMania. Yes, like the first match was him winning the title, and no. then a few matches, and then the last match was the Allow me to correct you, sir. You don't know what the hell you're talking about. Match one was Hogan versus Valentine. Then there was him versus Stud. Then yes, Hulk Hogan makes protein shakes on TNT. Mm. That was on there. Hogan versus David Schultz. Awesome match. Hogan versus Stud in a steel cage. Yeah. And then the final match is Hogan versus Iron Sheik, where he wins the title. Okay, there we go. So that's the first Hulkamania um, DVD. That I just remember out. being pissed, like when a friend of mine rented that. So even then, I was just kind of like, "This is all going to be the same stuff." But let's go. And like let's he's not f- really wrestling. Let's let's talk about bloopers, bleeps, and blo- body slams. Because I think I rented that from uh, at the time. Might have been a Blockbuster. Might have been a mom and pop store. There wasn't, oh. there wasn't any blockbusters back then. When, at that well, early, I mean, probably not. Never mind. Well, then. wait a minute, because I'm ahead of you, so never mind. You're right. So, um, there was none in Janesville. I can tell you that. Just for just for fun, uh, uh th- imagine this: you're, you're a kid and you love professional wrestling, and you go in and you get this tape, and you're thinking, I'm thinking it's going to be guys falling out of the ring. By the way, remind me to show you the Buzz Sawyer getting punched by Hacksaw Duggan and flying halfway across the ring out of the oh, ropes. Yeah, Have you seen yeah, that? Yes. All right. It's great. Anyhow, um, I'm imagining matches, and then you get this. You get Freddie Blassie giving love advice. Yes. Um, what was it? The Mike Sharp versus Steve Gray, where Steve Gray loses his toupee in mid-match. Yes. Which uh, is fun. 
uh, Tiger Chung Lee trying to break bricks with a karate chop. Yes. Um, so awesome. Yes. Uh, then there's the uh, Paul Orndorff Tony Atlas pose down. Iron Sheik riding a camel. Freddie Blassie yeah, and yeah. Friday. I'm just saying, like, yeah, I just this think is all goofy stuff from TNT. It's goofy, but it's not even like great goofy by any stretch of the well, imagination. Well, I, I, I still think back then, though, they didn't know what they had yet. True. You know, they were still really trying to figure out what this new wrestling beast was going to be. Right. And so you're seeing then uh, Vince know, in those impeccably tailored suits. Yes. Uh, all. Everything starts, you know, best of Andre the Giant, best of WWF right, right. again. You get your biggest, smallest, strangest, strongest uh, with a Nikolai Volkov highlights package, which uh, I'd be package. interested to see that. Some strange ones, though, on there, like a Pampero Furpo highlights package, a Luke Graham highlights package, and a Rugged Russians highlights package. Yeah, I remember being ripped off by that because Rugged Russians like wasn't a real... Like to me, that that was just a made up name. They had footage of something, right? Uh, here's one that I never rented, but it was always at the stores, and I hated it. And I was just like, I would, I will never watch it. Uh, Wrestling's Country Boys. Yeah, that was the big hillbillies thing. Uh, what was the hill? I, I mean, I don't understand. What was the attraction to the hillbillies thing? Well, the hillbillies was uh, an archetype that had been used for years in wrestling. You had the Kentuckians, which was uh, Grizzly Smith and Luke Brown. Uh, even uh, Haystacks Calhoun was kind of a hillbilly. I mean, that was just you know a character that had been used. And I recall it as Hillbilly Jim doing the fans out of the stands gimmick to save Hogan. Hogan gave Hillbilly Jim a pair of boots that became he became a wrestler. Hillbilly Jim messed up his knee, and that's what brought out uh, Cousin Junior yep. and uh, who was the big guy? Uncle El- Uncle Elmer. Uncle Elmer. Who? Uh, oh, what's his real name? I don't know that one. Oh, I'm going to have to keep talking until I get it. But he was a guy that had been around forever since the late 60s in uh, Los Angeles as the convict. Stan Frazier, that was his name. All right. Um, been there. He'd been in Memphis several several times under several different names, including Kamala too, which I thought was funny. Yeah. Yeah, that is. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, sure. He's, uh, he's from Africa. I just never understood the hillbilly... Uh, yeah, trend in it was fun. They they danced hoedowns. I, I yeah, and the what marriage, and like? the wedding, and everything. Now the the wedding. I've read differing stories about that. You're referring to when Uncle Elmer got married on Saturday night's main event. Yes. Heard. I, I've read different stories about that. One, it was a legi- legitimate wedding. Two, it was going to be a legitimate wedding, but the woman backed out. But they hired an actress to go through with it anyway. So I'm not sure the legitimacy. I'm not sure of the legitimacy of something in professional wrestling, but that wedding in particular. That's. Uh, can you think of another wedding that was done in professional wrestling before that? Uh, oh, hundreds. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. Big gimmick. Was it really? Yeah, Gorgeous George got married a bunch of times. Oh, okay. Um, even in the WWE, uh, Butcher Vashon got married on an episode of TNT. Yeah, but getting, oh, I guess getting, so. yeah, yeah, I guess now I'm getting married in the it, ring. Yeah. Bobby Shane married his bride. I mean, so okay, yeah, so it was, was a thing. It was a gimmick. So I want to do one more from the Coliseum days, and then we can get off. Of yeah, because the there's so much, uh, so much other it's, than Coliseum. Yeah. Coliseum just, again had the distribution, right? You know, and that's that's the gimmick. Uh, in my uh, in my basement right now, I have a life size stand uh, up of, of, of a hitchhiker tied up. Uh, life size Coliseum video Roddy Piper stand up says Coliseum home video sold here. 
from the first round, like vintage Piper, yeah. like WrestleMania. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So when I have parties at my house, what I do is I take a piece of paper and put it over the sign that says Coliseum Video sold here. And I'll be like, the party is here. So. And, and then you just sit and, and eat, I sit and eat from for, a bowl of chips. I hope for somebody to show at Roddy up. Piper. Out the, yeah, and see and see the fun expressions okay. as the neighbors walk by. Anyhow, last Coliseum home video, and then we'll move on from this one. And this is the one that I'd look back on and saying I hated it, would never have rented it, but now I wish I owned it, was WWF's explosive TNT show. Because on this tape, dun, dun, dun. Fuji Vice, brilliant. I <laughs> as you sigh. Uh the Jimmy Hart, Jimmy Jack, and Dory Fung Jr. barbecue. Um, uh, I believe uh, didn't Al Hayes get barbecue sauce poured on him on that? Yes, one? absolutely. Don Morocco gets a massage. <laughs> um, Bobby Heenan answers wrestling trivia questions, which is really funny if you've ever seen that. Fuji General, Fuji Bandito, Fuji Chan, Don Morocco and Mr. Fuji go to Hollywood, Ebenezer Piper, and the mating game with the Hart Foundation and Jimmy Hart. To me... Back in the day, I would never. I've been like, oh, this video stinks. I would kill for that one right now. I will state from a, a local secondhand vendor, you can get a collected TNT. Set. Oh, I've got a collected TNT. Oh, okay. I've yes. Got, okay. Yeah. So you know what I'm talking about. Yes, all I right. do know. Yes, and I, I have it all. It would just be nice to have it on one, uh, what, those like specific ones, but oh, I can always right. go on YouTube and most of that stuff is up there. Um, keeping up with the VHS, but going to other promotions that were out. Um, the NWA, they released a handful of uh, VHS back in Yeah, the day. I believe they started with the PWI Lords of the Ring. Yes. Which I first saw advertised in the Aftermags. Yes, Of course, because they were on it. It was that, so it must have been 85 because it was that, and then there was a Best of Bash 85 mm-hmm. uh uh, tape that also came out that I was so happy with, and all of a sudden look back, it's like, oh, it was only an hour. That thing was really cut up. Was that? I uh, think that was Koloff and Flair. Yes. Yes, where Flair came in on the helicopter. Luther Lindsay could do pretty much anything in a wrestling ring except win a World Singles Championship belt. His drop kicks were sky high, his uppercuts threatened to separate opponents' heads from their torsos, and he routinely whipped world-class amateurs in workout sessions. As a black man in a white man's game, he couldn't win a world title, but he could sure win respect. Luther Goodall was born on a farm outside Norfolk, Virginia on December 30, 1924. As a young adult, he later played college football for Norfolk State and nearby Hampton Institute where he was also a CIAA wrestling champion. Although excelling in athletics as an all-American Negro tackle guard, state segregation laws prohibited him from playing against white athletes. He played two years of professional football in Hamilton and Victoria for the Canadian Football League, but decided to pursue another passion full-time instead, professional wrestling. Luther began wrestling professionally, making his debut in 1950. He took the surname of his wife, Gertrude Lindsay, and christened himself Luther Lindsay. His earliest recorded match was against Al Tucker in Chicago, Illinois, for promoter Leonard Schwartz on November 21, 1951. As early as 1953, Lindsay was billed as the U.S. colored or Negro heavyweight champion. He was one of the few African Americans in professional wrestling, and in accordance with state segregation laws at the time, 
he was only allowed to travel with and compete against other African-American wrestlers. One of his most frequent opponents was Shag Thomas, who he later claimed he knew better than any other opponent he ever worked with. During the late 1950s, he became the first African-American south of Washington, D.C. to compete in a wrestling event when he faced the number one redneck Ron Wright in Kingsport, Tennessee. Although the National Guard was brought in amid fears of rioting, the crowd unexpectedly favored Lindsay against Wright. As a result of Lindsay's success in the area, other African-American wrestlers were brought in such as Bearcat Wright and Bobcat Brown. On July 24th, he faced Luthez for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship in Tacoma, Washington, and the two fought to a time limit draw. This was the first of several meetings between the two champions, and the first time the title was defended against an African-American opponent. A rematch one week later in Tacoma also resulted in a draw. He was one of several wrestlers who challenged the Seattle Ramblers to a football game known as the Muscle Bowl on October 11, 1954. The event was attended by over 7,000 fans and was successful in raising as much as $5,000 for the associated boys clubs of the Tacoma area. Among the wrestlers who participated, a half dozen were former collegiate football stars including Lindsey, Pepper Gomez, and Frank Stoyak. Other wrestlers included Bronco Nagurski, Ivan Kamaroff, The Masked Marvel, Dr. John Gallagher, The Ram, Abe Urist, and Glenn Detton. Despite the addition of several players loaned by the Seattle Ramblers, most notably Mel Light, they lost the game 20-6. Lindsey injured his right pinky finger during the game. On January 10, 1955, Lindsay won his first major title, the vacant NWA Hawaiian Tag Team Championship with Bobby Bruns in Honolulu. Later that year, Lindsay was brought to Texas by promoter Morris Siegel. As the state began complying with national desegregation laws, Siegel promoted the first interracial wrestling match in the state, pitting Lindsay against Duke Kiyomuka in one of the biggest matches of the year. Lindsay would also face Luthez again in Dallas on September 20, 1955, in yet another draw. In January 1956, he entered the Dallas-Fort Worth area then promoted by Ed McLemore. On January 10th, he faced Duke Kiyomuka in a best two out of three falls match at the world-famous Sportatorium. Although taking the first pinfall, Kiyomuka pinned Lindsay with the help of outside interference by Tiny Mills. When referee Roy Carter was knocked unconscious outside the ring, wrestler Danny McShane made the count after Lindsay pinned Kiyomuka. Although controversial, the third fall was granted to Lindsay by referee decision. A week later, Lindsay met Kiyomuka in a best three out of five falls match but stipulated that their cornermen, Danny McShane and Tiny Mills, were to be locked in cages to prevent outside interference. However, both men broke out of their cages during the match and began brawling in the ring. The four men were broken up by referees Ray Gunkel and Otto Cuss, who were forced to declare no contest. Later, during the main event between McShane and Mills, Lindsay appeared to help McShane in his match. He and McShane later took on Duke Kiyomuka and Tiny Mills for the NWA Texas Tag Team Championship in a best of three falls match at the Sportatorium on January 24th. He and McShane lost the third fall by disqualification when Lindsay threw Mills over the top rope. Lindsay was again scheduled to face Duke Kiyomuka in the opening rounds of a tournament to meet NWA World Champion Luthez. However, reportedly flying in from Canada, his plane was grounded due to bad weather and he was substituted by Tex Brady. Defeating Duke Kiyomuka on December 11th, 
Lindsay earned a title shot at then NWA World Heavyweight Champion Thez for their 10th meeting. The two competed in a best two out of three falls match at the Sportatorium on December 18th. Thez scored the first pinfall, and while Lindsay rallied to take the second, Thez took the third fall as well for the victory. According to the Dallas Morning News, Lindsay posted a $5,000 guarantee to face Thez. He again met Thez in Houston where they fought to another draw. Besides Thez, Lindsay also fought to a draw the newly crowned NWA World Heavyweight Champion Whipper Billy Watson in Dayton, Ohio on October 25, 1956. Years later while in Calgary, Watson would refuse to face him in a rematch. In the late 1950s, Lindsay was healing from a broken leg in Canada when promoter Stu Hart invited the still recovering Lindsay into his infamous dungeon for some sparring. On the mat, Hart was known to test his colleagues to measure their toughness. So of course, Hart decided it would be a good idea to drive his knee into the back of Lindsay's still weak and sore leg. In a flash, Lindsay snatched Hart and caught him off guard, spun around on him, and ensnared him in a front face lock that drove Hart into the wall. Knowing he was beat, Stu said to Lindsay, Eh, eh, Luther, I uh, think I hear my phone ringing upstairs. During a brief stint in NWA Hawaii, he enjoyed a brief reign as the NWA Hawaii United States Heavyweight Champion before losing the title back to King Curtis Iakea in June 1964. On July 28th, Lindsay was part of an 18-man battle royal which featured Gene Kaniski, Tosh Togo, Mr. Moto, and King Curtis Iakea. This event was later aired on the first episode of Big Time Wrestling, a weekly television show which broadcast the first wrestling matches from the Honolulu International Center and was attended by over 14,000 fans. 5,300 of these watched the event live at the Civic Auditorium. The following night, he appeared in the main event against King Curtis Iakea for the United States Championship, which sold out the Civic Arena. In early 1965, Lindsay was one of several African-American wrestlers to tour the Continental Wrestling Association, along with Sailor Art Thomas, King Toby, and Tiger Conway Sr. However, with segregation still in practice in the Memphis Territory, they only faced each other in matches. Lindsay joined a number of other African-American wrestlers in the Mid-Atlantic Territory for promoter Jim Crockett and, during a televised match in the television studio in late 1966, an incident between Lindsay and Ike Eakins caused WDBJ to cancel Crockett's weekly television show All-Star Wrestling. Eakins reportedly used a racial slur about Lindsay. Management at the station said if Eakins didn't apologize on the air the next week, they would throw the show off. Reportedly, Eakins came out, and instead of apologizing, he used the slur again, and that was the last wrestling show recorded at WDBJ. During the early 70s, Lindsay faced the original Minnesota Wrecking Crew of Gene and Ole Anderson, teaming with a number of wrestlers, such as George Scott, Abe Jacobs, and Randy Curtis. Later that year, he and Gene Anderson met in a singles match, fighting to a time limit draw in Greenville, South Carolina, on December 25, 1970. Two months later, he faced NWA champion Dory Funk Jr. in Norfolk. It would be his last attempt at the World Championship. On the night of February 21, 1972, Lindsay was facing local wrestler Bobby Paul at the Park Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. After only 10 minutes of battling in the ring, Luther knocked Paul to the mat and ascended the turnbuckles. Lindsay dove off and pinned his opponent with a diving belly flop. The referee counted to three and the match was over. Another successful victory, so everyone in the audience thought. That is, until Luther Lindsay did not move. He lay there in a heap on top of Bobby Paul, lifeless. 
It was determined later that upon making the pin, Lindsay suffered a fatal heart attack and died instantly on top of his opponent. When Lindsay did not respond to the referee after scoring the pinfall, the ref signaled to the back that something was wrong. The police were called and Lindsay was taken back to the dressing room where he was declared dead shortly after. His body was kept at his old alma mater, Hampstead Institute, for a week before his burial. For the uh, for the listeners at home uh, that might not <laughs> dun, know, dun, dun. talk about the uh, Lords of the Ring. We always talk about this in the PWI. Let, give us a little a little bit, a little flavor of it. Could you? Well, the PWI Lords of the Ring that was a best of re- you know basically anything that wasn't Vince. Yes, uh, but it was a best of wrestling that attempt to give you a flavor of what was going on across the other promotions. Uh, other promotions being the Crockets in the Carolinas and, and Atlanta territory. Uh, Memphis, Texas. Yeah, there was some Texas there because yeah, you were coming off the three big shows of Starcade, uh, the David Von Erich Memorial of Champions, and then I think it was the Memphis uh, Lawler and Dundee Loser Leave Town. Yes, you know yes. which which was had been built up to a huge deal. So you had tapes from all of these major shows, then they'd show clips and Gordon Soley. Let's go now to blah, right. blah, blah, blah. So that that gave you you know. It, it was a flavor of what wrestling was outside of Vince and growing up in the, you know, AWA hadn't come out with any sort of release like that yet because they didn't really understand what all that was. But when I saw that advertised and saw it for rent and got it, it was like, it was the best thing ever because was I great. was seeing a different style of action from what I was used to seeing again, AWA television style, WWF still kind of monkey television style, but then it just seemed that the wrestling from down south and what they were promoting was much more competitive and a right. you know a and different, faster moving. Right, and we've just watched the video, like a little teaser video from Friday Night Videos, uh, hand jive. Um, That's what closed out the yes the tape. Uh, what uh, uh, George Thorogood and Destroyers? We showed uh, young sound engineer Kyle here because he had never seen that before. Uh, George Thorogood and the Delaware Destroyers at that point. Yeah, they were still Delaware. Okay. Oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I was thinking of another wrestling connection. Never mind. That's yeah. all right. Well, I was thinking that uh, David Letterman called his band the world's most dangerous. Yes. World's most dangerous three man band. Or whatever. I thought it was just the mo- most dangerous band. World's most dangerous band, which t- he got from his days growing up in Indiana with Dick the Bruiser as the world's most dangerous wrestler. Ah. So that's what he. And allegedly during the Jerry Lawler, uh, Andy Kaufman thing, when they went dark for a commercial break. Letterman leaned over to Lawler and said, hey, do you talk to Dick the Bruiser at all? Like, <laughs> nice. Because he used to do ring announcing yeah, you know, yeah. back in the day. That's making that connection. But so we showed uh, young sound engineer Kyle this uh, Lords of the Ring Teenage video. Heartthrob. And uh, we just, I can say, it, it, the best way for anyone that hasn't seen it is if you remember, you just think about what WWF was and you think about the Hulk Hogan, Iron Sheik, Roddy Piper, Bob Orton, you think of that's great. And then you get exposed to this video where you're seeing Jimmy Valiant, Kabuki. Uh, technically, War. you're not seeing Jimmy Valiant. You saw Charlie Brown from out of town. Yeah, well, okay, fair enough. Uh, what else we see in there? Uh, Road Warriors, I said. Uh, you're Ric Flair, you're Von Yeah, Eric's. but Road Warriors from Memphis. That was like There wasn't any AWA footage on it. It was right. mainly the Southern promotions. Right, right. And again, this is PWI using their, you know, 
it was all of these, you know, Southern promotions trying to band together to provide a front against Vince. Uh, a lot of footage of the chain match from Starcade One with uh, Valentine. In fact, they show part of the match, don't they? Yeah, Valentine and Piper. Yeah, yeah the Valentine Piper. Yeah, because uh, and and Gordon solely warned you about the brutality. Of yes. It. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so an, again, just kind of a great video. If you ever have the chance to look it up or find it or buy it. I suggest doing it if you haven't seen it because it's probably one of my favorite compilation yes. tapes of all time. I have uh, my VHS copy is signed by Harley Race. Yes. Uh, from when Carmine brought him in a long time ago. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. Best in sport, cool. Harley Race. That's how yeah, he signs a, everything. It's such a great, yeah, it's such a great thing. Now, um, <laughs> one of my other favorite parts of that tape, and we'll go in to it, is the Heaven Needed a Champion, the young lady singing. Yes. Uh, the song you wore so, the family name with pride now yes gone. uh i had a lead on getting a seven inch vinyl of that uh-huh uh that they put out and sold at the stadium yes. on that day yes and uh was extremely close to getting it and then the deal kind of fell through because the person jacked up the price did a little bait and switch at the end nice um but that's one of mine like i wish i could get my hands on that <laughs> uh it was so great but uh, so let's talk about Von Erichs. Let's go down to Texas. Uh, rumored that there were pictures of David Von Erich for sale at that Div- that uh, autograph by David Manning. Really? Well, I mean, with David Von Erich's autograph. That would be great if he did David Manning. <laughs> sure. Get right, your autograph right across David. his face. Yeah. Right, yeah. No, and it would work Get out. Get the referee. Uh, something that I brought out, and it's a funny story for you. It, well, not probably. I don't know. I think it's great. Well, you and I went out to brunch one time a few years back. Yes. And I brought you over to my car, and I showed you. I actually own the Von Erich's board game. Yeah, the wrestling game. The wrestling game, which to this day is the most confusing game i've awesome it's not i I, it's almost unplayable i would get i I don't even know it's like i see kids today with pokemon cards and i have no idea what that stuff's about like this is a hundred times more confusing but you get to play as iceman king parsons nice so that's really great Uh, gino hernandez chris adams von eric's one man gang uh it's great uh i mean it's a great piece of trivia i'll put it up i'll take a picture of it and put it up on the uh, facebook page there was a von eric game i believe Ganya, there was an AWA wrestling game too called yes. Matt Wars. Was that the one with the VHS tape? Maybe. Uh, so. No, I thought it was a board game. Was a board game? I had the VHS AWA game where you played it and they had all these clips. And it was so dumb because you could only play this goddamn game once because you already knew what the next bit was going to uh, be. Oh, okay. So, because it, it would be like you roll the dice or you do whatever. And then they'd say, now play the video. And then you'd play the video and they'd take you right up to the edge of a move and then they'd tell you to pause it. And then you had to guess what it was either you had to guess what move it was or you had to have the card that had the move on uh, it. Oh, okay. Um, and then you played the card, and then it would be this annoying like countdown, like a beeping countdown, and then it would show you what the move was. And inevitably, anytime the Road Warriors were on, it was pretty much a body slam. <laughs> uh, the the funniest part of the tape being Larry Zabisco versus uh, Larry Winters, I sure. think was his name. Oh, were the rope breaks. The rope breaks. Yeah. Yes. And my friends and I watched that just that part over and over again. But you could only play the game once. Because after you played it through once, you memorized exactly, exactly. what happened. You knew. Uh, real life rope break recently. I'm not sure this takes us out of our little deal. Down at AAW, uh, Chris Hero against Pentagon Jr. Hero goes into the ropes. The top rope breaks, but it wasn't the turnbuckle breaking. It was the triangle of steel that was welded onto the ring post. Yes. 
that held the buckle there, like that pulled off of the ring post. Okay. So luckily that match was quick. And then uh, they had to get out like a toe strap and somehow attach that to the top turn buckle and pull tension on the top rope, which lasted for the rest of the show. But it, it was just kind of like, a, oh, shit, here, you always say this is going to happen. Here it did. It's my so biggest that's, fear. That's why you grab the rope when you hit the ropes, kids, so that you have something to right yourself with when you yes. flip over. That's That's been the thing of nightmares for me, by the way. Yes, yes. So... <laughs> Always pack a fifth ring post, anybody that owns a... <laughs> yeah. You know how ring. common those are. Yeah. Fifth um, ring post, extra board, extra rope. So know. Texas releases uh, the... Well, all... there was that. Uh, what else did they do? The Von Eric family front row ringside. What was that? Oh, that was a... Was that the book? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, with like the embossed cover. Yeah, the book faces. and the videotape that took you into the Von, Von Eric yes. world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So Texas had they, that. Uh, they cut out the chapter on pills. Yeah, well, yeah. some things are just... What, what did you say? There's a history and there's a past. Yeah, there's history and there's a past. So. Uh, I was also around... Let's see. This isn't dating... Well, whatever. I was a single male, so it didn't matter. When Penthouse came out with the... Uh, oh, I was working at a stop-and-go when the Penthouse came out with the article about the Von Erichs. Okay, yeah. And so that issue may have fallen into my car. Sure. You know, uh, But I remember that being just revolutionary like reading like oh my god this is this all makes sense this is that was like one of the first like behind the scenes that truly behind the scenes things i had read it was like oh my god this is bizarre yeah yeah and uh in a in a penthouse nonetheless yeah which which i thought was odd and of course fritz had a big problem with but again that's come forth as one of the first articles that was on a national platform like that right that was truly not wrestling's fake but more look here behind the scenes this is what's going on yeah there was a huge i I think the guy originally was that irving muchnick i think that's you know yeah uh, which is a nephew of sam muchnick or whatever um like wanted to do a story on the phenomenon of wrestling but found this other story underneath it which you know everybody in wrestling knew but it was a closed business right right um so texas releases some gimmick some things like that yeah. fans get them we get our uh, hands there's on also it. a series of t-shirts available um like the ones taken by force from insert your wrestler's name yeah here. yeah uh those were the big ones and then i think there was a general like a carrie von eric standing with the double bicep pose or right whatever. yeah just that you're typical Which, like just the... personally i like wrestling t-shirts but i don't like wearing wrestling t-shirts that are another shirtless man on my on my yes. chest it's just kind of like eh, whenever okay. i saw somebody wearing a just incredible t-shirt where it was a picture of just him without a shirt on with his hands on his hips yeah yeah just kind of it, it, you know the message gets obscured yeah a little bit so yeah uh, I, I but previous thing. to all of this like a lot of the licensing dusty Rhodes tells a story uh, in florida of like him printing up t-shirts on his own and selling them you know having a friend sell them out of his trunk in the parking lot right which would go on good until the promoters found out, you know, that they were making money. Then they'd either want to cut or just tell them to cut it out, you know. Yeah, cut it out altogether. You know, and this is the promoters wanting to keep everybody on a short leash and keep them underpaid and keep them hungry. And like, well, there's something going on outside of wrestling. So there were these little regional, um, you know, regional endorsements or regional things you could get in different areas because wrestlers would take that initiative to do that. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of people on the modern scene, a la Young Bucks, Colt Cabana, and everything that really understand that and they can tap into that. Um, 
I've told my story several times of I did try t-shirts once, but I found out the secret to selling them was you had to stand out there and talk to people, and that just cut into my cigar smoking time, and yes, just wasn't worth it to me. Just three hundred dollar experiment down the tubes. Two, uh, two other quick ones, and then we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up. Uh, oh, uh, we still got plenty to go through. Well, yeah, yeah but we we'll do this. Do you wanna do you wanna go? Well, I still want to go through. There's Blood Battles of the South that I've told you about yes. with Tommy Rich. There was also uh, what else? The the Lawler. Yeah, let's well, let's yeah, let's hammer okay. through. But okay. let's let me uh, let me grab my do my two here. We'll go okay. through these together, and then we'll cover those, and we'll, okay. we'll we'll see where we end up here. Um, we talked about a little bit before the show, uh, rock and roll wrestling music television with uh, Johnny Legend. Yes, yeah, uh, that, those were those Rhino video things were always kind of strange to me. I never understood. They just appeared to be a clearinghouse for everything. And who do you, are you familiar with? Who Johnny Legend was? Like he was like a rockabilly. Yeah, like, he was a rockabilly was he an LA guy. kind of guy or something. Yes, and also did a lot of. Uh, he was all <laughs> sorry. Uh, crossing over my interest, he was also semi in the underground porn world as well. Was he really? Yeah, like he was known. Like he didn't film, but like may have contributed. But came out of that whole hippie era. Yeah, uh, did a lot of. Like music for TV, but not not like the like he would right. compose those instrumental pieces. Like that's reading an article that he said like he went in and like they they shot showed him some footage they shot and he knew some of the terms. He's like, oh, we'll just do a little like a, a tra la la here and we'll go into a misterioso from here, which was like the incidental mood music that plays in the background. Gotcha, right. Which again fascinated me. It's like, oh my God, all those have terms. Now I want to learn those. Yeah, and, right. But I like the mysterioso was the, like uh, in a detective that, whoa, 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 you know. And he, um, yeah, because I think he was kind of an LA guy that yeah. tied himself a lot to the wrestling well, him and the and his, music and him and his uh, when growing up he was a big Freddie Blassie fan. Yes. They used to stalk him on the beach. Well, and what he does he responsible or was he with Blassie with doing Pencil Neck Geek? Possibly. Yeah. That, I, I mean like, I feel like that might that might tie itself. It might together. have been tied in the same way that Jimmy Papa was tied into all the WCW you, music releases. Right. Like, oh this is our music guy. Go talk and, to him. And by the way, if you haven't heard uh Blassie's Pencil Neck Geek, it's great. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I think it's a great song. I, I, I available in Doctor Demento. Yes, yeah. and uh, and you know, and I guess keep it. We'll keep going along that lines now with music. Uh, we had the Crusher uh, do the Hammerlock, but he didn't do that. That was a band that did. that Yes, for but he him. sang on it. No, he didn't. He did. Yeah, did he? Did like yes. I don't. I'll, I'll defer. I don't. I feel that. like he sang on it. No, I don't believe he sang. Well, I don't think. I'm not saying sang. He like spoke. Well, yeah, oh, da, 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 right. Know, I I don't believe he did that. I thought that was just a band that did that for him. Oh, well, we'll listen and yeah, see. We'll I don't know. Maybe my mind's a little fuzzy. And that that leads us to uh, one of our favorites, um, Exotic Adrian Street. Yes. Uh, shake, ra- wrestle, and roll. Um, uh, yeah, man of many talents, Exotic Adrian Street. Another video clip we showed young Kyle yes. today. Which left him feeling uncomfortable about how he felt about it was the <laughs> video for Imagine What I Could Do to You. Yes. So, yeah, Adrian Street put out, I want to say it's a good three or four albums of stuff and then shot these videos for them, most likely on most of the estate that he had at that time. But he was also known, like in England, uh, for being involved in the softcore slash hardcore porn industry over there as well. Correct. Um, it's mentioned in Pat Barrett's book, Everybody Down Here Hates Me, but he changes Adrian Street's name to Andrew Lane. Talks about going over to his house to get a weight bench and 
right. happens upon a porn shoot. And they're like, oh, you look fabulous. Go ahead, put a mask on or whatever. Um, and then I've also seen some uh, shot pictorials of the one I saw was street in the back of a limousine with two or three topless ladies. And right. Obviously, they were good friends. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, so, so Adrian Street came out with a series of, but he also came out with a wrestling album that was printed on pink vinyl. Right. Which is good. Um, so you had that. What are some of the other things that came out? You know, just the weird off, like a local wrestling area, like, um, you know, somewhere in Georgia would know somebody. I, I, I did see like a best of ICW, which was old. Pafo footage. Oh, okay. I just remember Randy Savage. And that Savage. was a commercial re- release? Yeah, it was a VHS. And I, I always hate it because a video store in my hometown was selling it when they were going out of business and I didn't have money. I figured, oh, I'll just be back to get it. And it was already gone. Yeah. Arg. Um, Someone was just a bigger fan than you were. Yeah, which is uh, a small enough town. I wonder who that was. Right. Like, I probably knew that person. Um, so, like, that came out... You know, so there were a lot of weird one-offs that would come out, but you know, being put out for some, you know, second-tier video company, like, right. oh, we've got this footage, let's just chop it together. Well, and it always made me wonder about something, even like the well, the Hot Night in Bayamon, yeah, or the Bloody Billy matches of the Caribbean, right? Like those things too, almost kind of these strange one-offs. Now, see, those uh, were Puerto Rico footage, right? Uh, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that they were distributed out of Florida. Yeah, you know, <laughs> surprise. You know, so there were these VHS releases available. The early issues of the Pro Wrestling Torch were very good for saying, hey, here's something that's available, here's this. But it always wet my whistle because I was waiting for, like, those, you know, I'd get spoiled and think, where's the high-end release of AWA footage? And then something would come out and it would all be, like, shot to videotape or right, something. Right, and it was terrible. Yeah. Well, I always felt, too, with the AWA stuff, um, I mean, I always preferred the studio because when they showed the stuff coming from the big auditoriums, yeah. the camera was so far away right. that it just, I don't know, there was just no feel to it. There was nothing because it was just like the one hard cam right. uh, the whole time. And that always bothered me. Uh, but so along lines, bloody, bloody matches the Caribbean and all that good stuff. You were talking about some of those southern, uh, the blood, blood, blood battles of the south. Yes. Tell us a little bit well, more about that one. That was just a weird... Uh, Vehicle to put over Tommy Rich, mm-hmm. but it was strange in that. But but, but way past the prime of the oh, Tommy yeah, Rich. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like I, I said before, it was shot mostly in like 89 out of Miss Kitty's Saloon in Marietta, Georgia, which is funny because I told a cousin of mine who lived in that area, hey, this videotape has wrestling. She's like, oh, I learned how to line dance there. Nice. Like So Miss Kitty's was still there. But that was a smaller uh, Atlanta promotion. But it was weird because it would show, like, here's Tommy Rich from Memphis back when he was in the new Fabulous Ones. And then here's this match in front of 15 people. And then here's the Wild-Eyed Southern Boys video. And then here's another match. And then here's the Wild-Eyed Southern Boys video. Like, they show it two or three times over the course of this two-hour tape. Yeah. But all of them just notice for the just... Tommy Rich gets color. It looks like somebody slaughtered a sheep. Right. It just... It just ridiculous, ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, that that's an awesome tape. Uh, there's just so many of them that came out at that era that that rock and roll wrestling. Like I said before, I bought a 
like 35 minute version of that at Shopco, but later found a version that had two or three other videos included on it. Yeah. But that was very interesting because I really loved the uh, the Bruiser Brody one. Um, but then the Randy Savage one, which was to Rock Warriors, I forget the yes. name of the band, but ends with him cutting that smoking promo against Jerry Lawler to set up the cage match. Right. Which was an incredible, incredible promo. And then they go to the cage match, and it's that stupid wood and chicken yes, wire the where the walls move. And then I believe that ends with Kareem Muhammad I, coming yes. in for the, the disqualification. But it's just like, really? That's the cage? Uh, yeah. Okay. No, I know. And that was bad. And now, speaking of the Memphis cage match. Yeah. Um, that takes us to the, like, was it the only commercial release from Memphis was the Austin Idol Lawler? Yeah. That yeah. was their only, they, they may have had another, like another best of, but I, I, that was like the only one that I saw advertised. And I always forget what's the name of the, um, there was a specific name that they, they the haircut did. match. I don't remember. It was like the battle of Memphis or something. Nah, it wasn't yeah, the battle of Memphis. Yeah. It was something, but you uh, know what it is. Yeah. And in fact, that's something I want us to talk about. I'm, I want us to do a whole episode just on that angle because that tape, Oh, I'm going to have to watch that. again. Well, that's yeah. I think we should both sit down and minus watch signed that. by Lawler, by the way. Yeah. Which I've already Great. floated in front of you. I, that's awesome. Yeah. I just, we just got to find a VHS player so we can sit down. Well, then I want to do an episode on the, uh, the Jack LaLanne DVD yeah. of his chair exercises that Greg Valentine convinced <laughs> me to buy. That'll be the nighttime sleeping episode, yeah, what? right? Somebody will like it. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. Jack LaLanne's son. Uh, so, like, what other goofy stuff was... I mean, there was... You know, in the early days of VHS, not only did wrestling try to define itself, but I also think the video companies were trying to figure right. out what VHS tape was. Absolutely. So there was a lot of shot directly to video or... Or, or, you know, just random footage put together. So it was weird going to your local video store, just seeing what showed up on the wall. And, oh, what's this? This is something interesting. Now, and I know... Oh, there was also the, um, like, the half-hour compilations out of the South, which would be, like, All-Star Wrestling featuring Bob Orton. And would have, like, one match with Bob Orton and then two other scrub matches. And right. There was one featuring Kabuki. I believe they were... There were two sets, each had like eight volumes. Yes. You know, and you'd see that every once in a while. And then there was the Monsters of the Mat series. Uh, one featured, I think the main event was Duggan and DiBiase in a cage in a tuxedo match. And then the other one was like a cut up version of Battle of the Belts from Florida. And the main event was Flair against Wahoo for the title. Okay. I always love the tuxedo match. Yeah, I mean it was a decent uh, loser. That's gets down the road. That's what we've got to do. We've got to do like a, a gimmick match episode. Oh jeez, yeah. My favorite. Yeah, we can get into that. Yeah, that's yeah, it's like my favorite one. No, 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 no. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's so many great ones out there. I think that in that era, so much was attributed to that rock and wrestling uh -huh. connection. That and of course the the boom in VHS. Right. It was just such a huge time, and. I attribute a lot of that to that getting that knowledge of a lot of other promotions and people in around. I was always sick to my stomach. Well, not really. Just say uh -huh. that because it sounds really good. Sure. But uh, you know, seeing people like uh, we talked about before we started recording, like Kabuki, to me, scared the living shit out of me. Uh -huh. um, now I see he didn't really do much. <laughs> but, right. Well, my big thing about that was the whole had his face rubbed in coals. Yeah. So I was. 
every match he was out there, I was like trying to get a look at his face. And he too. always had the hair over his face, so he could never really get a good yep. look. And I think that's exactly what it killed me about the Kabuki thing. But uh, never, even when we did have WCW or WCCW airing here, uh, Kabuki wasn't around or wasn't at uh, any of the on the TV shows that much or often when I saw them. So he was always this elusive character. Right. So. The reason he wasn't on when we got all of that was that was the post, you know, the Von Erich boom. Yes. Uh, Kabuki was a Gary Hart creation. Yeah. And so Gary Hart le- got fired slash left right before, you know, right after the Von Erich uh, Freebird feud was set. Okay. Which was when we got the syndication up here. It was already post that, like the Kerry had already won the title and everything, and yes. like we were behind that. So the reason you didn't see Kabuki a lot was that Gary Hart was already gone. Okay. And then and Kabuki, Gary Hart takes his stuff with him, basically. Well, no, no, no. Gary Hart, like Kabuki, asked Gary Hart what he should do, and Gary Hart's like, "Well, I've led your career up until now. Do what you want to do." And yeah. he left. So Kabuki would come in, and then he got involved in some storyline with Sunshine or whatever before he had to leave. Sure, and then he was gone. Now, uh, speaking of that again, Freebirds, you got Michael Hayes, Bad Street USA. Yes. The video, the cassette. Yes, uh, I believe the ad I saw, you could get either the album or the cassette, a bandana, yes. and then... You became I, a member of the Michael P.S. Hayes I, no, fan No, I club, did not become right? a member of the Michael P.S. But that was one club. of the options. You could do that and get a You know a way large, too much about this stuff to Well, because I'm picturing be this ad. Well, I'll get to that in a second. You could also get the T-shirt, uh, but there was a big fold-out folder uh, uh, poster of Michael Hayes a la Burt Reynolds in... Uh, cosmopolitan or yes whatever. yes but i'm not sure i believe it was probably a rebel flag covering the the goods or whatever but right <sighs> michael hayes what is you know yeah. thought he was great but uh years later i did track down a cassette of the off the streets yes with michael hayes and i'm sorry the guy sings flat yeah a little bit he just sings flat yeah that um we have a friend uh a mutual friend who has that um cassette yeah which uh yeah it's kind of neat to actually have something like that but then it makes me wonder if they're actually in the fan club hiding their michael psa's poster behind their door somewhere that'd be awesome it would be pretty awesome uh but yeah once once i got it and like you can look up the boys are back in town on on vhs or on on youtube and everything and i'm sorry he just got the face down got the moves down can't sing just can't do it sorry have you ever heard freebird road yeah <laughs> Okay. All right, and we're done with that. One. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That. Um. Yeah. That one's kind of kind of rough. Uh. Yeah. Okay. I can just leave it. Leave it. Freebird Road was one of those songs, and I know you've got it where you're hearing it for the first time, but you're guessing the next lyric. Yes. Yeah. Pretty it's much. Just like okay. That's a great way of putting it. You're just putting this together. Okay. Now, another thing too, as kids, reading PWI, I don't know about you, but I always wanted a T-shirt, but for some reason never bothered buying one. Did you ever get one? No. No, I wanted one but didn't get one. And it probably wasn't anything. The only thing I did get was I sent in a self-addressed stamped envelope to get a business card for Piper's Brigade. Oh, really? Yeah, which was some minor promotion. They had a bunch of business cards left over. 
And they just said, here, have a bit. We'll send yeah, I mean, it was back. free, so I got it, but it was, just, oh, okay. That's pretty awesome, though. Yeah, I carried that in my wallet till it fell apart. And know, that, But that's the, I mean, again, the ladies, that's yeah. the kind of things that we look back at and you go, wow, that's really great. And now, you know, so, of course, now we take it to modern days. We're not even going to get into any of it because you can pretty much get anything. From yeah, Christmas yeah. Ornaments. it's a different thing. It's, and yeah. Uh, you know, especially with the young bucks and a lot of it, it's like, yeah, they've got it where they can generate merchandise and generate royalties, you know, good for you. Right. Good. For yeah. You. And even to the point, if you were to look on the WWE website and look at their merchandise, you see so much stuff that you think, how can they be producing such mass quantities of I who really wants, you know, the, like I said, who wants a who are you who's buying a Stone Cold Steve Austin Christmas tree ornament now? I don't know. Someone must be if they're thinking that there's a market for right, it, right. Uh, to put it out there. But it's just it's such a different world. But I think we look back on the things that we did have as kids and the things that we grew up on, and we think these are fantastic. Uh, anything you want to say in closing before we move on? Uh, one one piece of ephemera that I've always wanted to see, but have I've just seen an ad for it, is Johnny Valentine supposedly had a mail-order correspondence course to learn how to wrestle. Oh, really? And I would love to see you know a an installment of that like it was just what, a letter just said take a bump well it, yeah <laughs> but i'm sure it was something to show here's here's a wrist lock there were several books put out over the years um there was one out of australia i forget if it's larry o'day or mario Meliano, but there's a how to wrestle where he's demonstrating you know x number of holds so there's yeah. there's been these books available over the years of course, they were kind of written in kayfabe or, oh, just grab the top wrist lock, but it doesn't tell you how to get, get there you right. know, and stuff like or how to work it. Or if they do it in such a fashion, if you do it to your friend, you're going to tear out their shoulder and you yep. know, <laughs> then you're not allowed to wrestle anymore. Yeah. And then and then I mean, done. so there's a lot of stuff. It is a golden age of different. Um, one thing I've noticed now that's starting to come back is uh, the New Japan since especially since. New Japan now has all of these indie guys on their main roster that yep. the average fan is wearing the you know the lion logo and stuff like that. Right. Um, and you know, good for them. It's a different world. But I just kind of just grumble. Right. I hear you. Well, uh, before we wrap up, a couple uh, house uh, cleaning things here. I just wanted to get to. Want to say thanks. We've had some questions come in, which we'll be getting to again somewhere down the line. Uh, some new questions have come in. Some great ones. Uh, things that I'm excited to oh, have answered. Yes. You asked me about Joe Petticino in our reader's mail. I forgot to give his nickname. Yes. The Round Mound of Sound, <laughs> which I loved. That is a great yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, self-given name, do you think? Uh, no, I thought Cornette gave him that. Okay. The Round Mound of Sound, Joe Petticino. I don't know how which, he felt about and it. And again, too, more housekeeping, house cleaning. I was thinking about this. Uh, James E. Barnett, James E. Cornett, was there? Yeah, a... yeah, that's exactly why he had that name. Okay, just wanted to make sure that yeah. that, that kind of ties all together once you hear all that. And everybody thought it was a rib when they saw the booking sheet when he went into Atlanta. They're like, what? How cool. Yeah. Uh, so there was that. Again, please keep the questions coming. We're going to do another questions episode coming up down the road. In uh, keeping with uh, our theme of VHS tapes and uh, commercial releases, Next week, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at Starcade The Gathering, which uh, is a stacked show from top to bottom. We're basically going to 
start with the undercard, move all the way up to the main event, which saw Dusty Rhodes take on Ric Flair. Other matches on the card include a um, I Quit match with Tully Blanchard and Magnum TA. Classic. Yes, the Rock and Roll Express versus the Russians in a steel cage. Arg. Uh, that was fantastic. Um, a bunch of other stuff that is, is Jimmy Valiant there. Jimmy Valiant <sighs> is uh, on the show. Then it's cool. Baby. Uh, with uh, who was he with again? What was her name? Her in quotes. Miss Atlanta Lively. Miss Atlanta Lively. Absolutely. She had a rack. Yes. She, uh, and then some. And the curliest permed hair you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. All natural, I understand. A- absolutely. Yeah. Abdul the Butcher, um, Manny Fernandez, superstar Billy Graham, Barbarian. Tons of people on the show. If you have the network, put it on. You will not be disappointed. Uh, swear that there's color in every single match. Awesome. Even in the arm wrestling competition. It is great stuff. We're going to go through. We're going to dissect the entire show and um, just really have at it and just give some ideas and thoughts about it. But that's going to wrap it up for this time. We want to thank everybody again for listening, for writing with your questions. Please tell your friends. Spread the word. Let them know. Uh, We're having a great time doing this. We hope you're enjoying it. want to thank our sound engineer, Kyle Arpke, uh, music creator, um, Eric Arsenault, and from your co-host Jay Gilke and the one and only Derek St. Holmes Esquire. Uh, You can catch us on Cigars and Conversations exclusively on OneGimmickWorld.com. We will see you next time. Take care. Arr.